London, and this is a special video presentation of Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 107 is Jungian analyst Dr. Royce Froelich in New York City. He holds a master's degree in media studies from the New School for Social Research and spent 20 years working as an audio engineer for ABC Radio Networks. He then entered the dual degree program at the Columbia University School of Social Work and the Union Theological Seminary, where he earned both a master's degree in clinical social work and a master of divinity. He completed his doctoral work with the European Graduate School, earning a PhD in philosophy, art, and critical thinking. His dissertation was on C.G. Jung, media, and disindividuation. Dr. Froelich trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute of New York, where he is now an instructor, supervisor, and training analyst. He lectures on clinical concepts using Jung's commentary on The Secret of the Golden Flower and on psychology and religion, and leads introductory workshops for incoming trainees. He also serves on the faculty of the C.G. Jung Foundation for Analytical Psychology in New York City, where he presents on the effect of media technologies on the human psyche, divine androgyny, and Jung on Eastern religions. Dr. Froelich sits on the executive board of the Philemon Foundation and is an active member of the New York Association for Analytical Psychology, known as NIAP. He has presented on Jung's Psychology of Wholeness at the Open Center in Manhattan and on Jung and the sound and visual artist John Cage at the Rubin Museum of Art. Today, we'll be discussing his paper, C.G. Jung, Disindividuation, Media, Effects of Communication Technology on the Human Psyche, which he presented at the 2016 IAAP Congress in Kyoto, Japan. It was published in the proceedings, Anima Mundi in Transition, Cultural, Clinical, and Professional Challenges, edited by Jungian analysts, Amelia Kiel, and episode 46 guest, Margaret Clank. This video interview is being recorded on Friday, March 25th, 2022, through the magic of StreamYard. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here today, Dr. Froelich. Delighted to be here, Laura. So where should we begin? Uh, you were a radio engineer, you said, for nearly 20 years, and then technology replaced human beings. What happened? Well, technology tends to replace human beings. Um, in my case, um, enough people quit so that I got a, access to a really nice studio. I could dim the lights, that was new. All the other places had fluorescent at the time or mm -hmm. some kind. Anyway, um, one day my boss came in and said, looked around at all the equipment. We had multi-track recorders, all kinds of sound enhancing devices. He said, you know, we're going to be put out of business by a kid with a box in his basement. Yeah. And um, it was shortly thereafter that life circumstances um, created an opening. And um, I looked up social work schools because I did have my eye on the prize of getting into the Young Institute someday. Mm -hmm. That was all, all already bubbling. Mm -hmm. And at that time, one needed to have a master's in a helping profession. Mm -hmm. So social work was uh, a very good way to fulfill that requirement, a social, mm -hmm. master's in social work. Mm -hmm. Then I saw the dual degree program offering. And um, I'd already known that the Bible is the most different certainly one of the most cited texts in the collected works of Jung. And I grew up uh, as an ultra-reformed Jew. Uh, we didn't have a Bible in the house, right? So, uh, I and I knew there were two Jungians on faculty, 
at Union Theological Seminary and Ulanoff and Harry Fogarty. Mm. And I, I applied and was lucky enough to get in. And that was the gateway to the Jung Institute as well as beginning a professional clinical psychotherapy practice as a social worker 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in the fact that you already knew about Jung and about the Jung Institute before you got into social work and divinity. So how did you first hear about Jung and, and what made you interested? I can't tell you when I first heard about Jung, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that um, it in my 20s, I asked um, a family friend about um, helping me find a psychotherapist. And it just so happened that the chain of referrals was to a Jungian in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, now that was a coincidence, we could say. I didn't seek out a Jungian analyst. Right. Like many people, just looking for a psychotherapist, and in this case happened to be a Jungian. But uh, it, it, my, I know that I knew Carl Jung's name before then, um, and my interest grew, and a friend's wife gave me a brochure from Cooper Union, um, the Cooper Union Institute school here in New York. Mm -hmm. It was introduction to Jung uh, on the program. Mm -hmm. Five classes, five dollars. Mm. Good deal. It was, taught, was taught by the Swiss. Armin. Oh. I'm sorry, so, who? Armin Warner. Uh, he came over from Zurich, I think, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and Imagine having Jung delivered for the first time with a Swiss accent. Mm, nice. Yeah. And that's really where my interest grew, uh, studying with Armin then. Um, and the, the Jungians at Union and... Yeah. And, and also uh, learning about the Jung Foundation mm -hmm. and beginning to take their courses for the public which is something I recommend all the time for people who are interested in Jung. Take courses it, at, I mean, now it's Zoom time, but if you're near a Jung center of some kind, they're often taught by Jungian analysts. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Yep. So tell us a little bit about New York has a lot. So there's the New York Institute and then there's the New York Foundation, and then there's NIAP. So would you tell us a little bit about how they differ? Oh, okay. Well, there's more than that, but it, what... Right, that's right. Okay. The organizations you were speaking of are all housed together in the C.G. Jung Center, which is on 39th Street between Park and Madison Avenues. And in the center... Um, uh, are the Jung Foundation, which is the public arm, the Jung Institute, the training institute, the professional organization, NIAP, the New York Association for Analytical Psychology, the Analytical Psychology Club, which is, I think, the oldest Jungian organization in the States, and uh, the Archive for Research in Archetypal Symbolism, ARIS, which is a picture library. Uh, and the Psychology Club uh, owns and operates the Christine Mann Library, one of the great Jungian libraries in the world. Yeah. So all of those entities are in one building, the Jung Center. Mm -hmm. And they, again, they serve the, the, the public is served by the foundation and uh, Aris. Then there's the Psychology Club, which theoretically you become a member of after working with, well, now it's a, a Jung-oriented psychotherapist. It used to be only for people who analyzed with a Jungian, mm -hmm. an, an IAP, an internationally recognized Jungian. Um, 
and the uh, but the library is open to the public mm -hmm. so there's a lot of service in the public there in that building the the library the christine mann library mm -hmm. is part of which the psych right? analytical psychology club okay speaking of that library so let's go to your presentation um, that I watched on YouTube. And I would like to thank the Young Association of Western Massachusetts for recording this and posting it on YouTube. And there will be a link to it in the show notes for this episode. It's titled Generalized Media Disorder, Young on Technology and Disindividuation. And it was filmed on December 6th, 2019. So it was right before all the lockdowns of the pandemic. Um, and I would assume you had given this presentation before, but this was filmed and it's great. So uh, the reason why I brought up the Christine Mann Library is because you mentioned during that presentation that the librarian found, or I don't know, found an audio recording of Jung and gave it to you because you were uh, the audio guy there and asked you to, to what? I'll let you tell the story. She found a, a box with a reel-to-reel -reel tape in it. Mm. I remember I those. what it was because mm -hmm. it had no markings on the box. And so she asked whether I could just see what was on the tape. And... Um, you guys had no idea. No idea what it was. That's why I, I took it and I brought it home and put it on one of my reel-to-reel -reel recorders. Um, and uh, and there's the man. And wow. there's the man. There's the man. And I guess we'll get talking about it. There's the man who really gave me my doctorate in a way. Handed, hand, uh, the, the topic. Now, he didn't give me the doctorate. He gave me the, the topic. The topic of your doctorate. Yeah. Of my doctorate. Yeah. So that was your thesis when you graduated as an analyst or when you got your PhD or both? Both. both. I, I'm kind oh, of that's so Jungian, both. I, 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 kind of a one trick pony, actually, you know, okay. with derivatives. But well, uh, that theme trick. is, uh, thanks, that, that's what's been revisited over the years. So, and I'm sorry, I keep fiddling with this. Uh, I don't want to wear big headphones. And so I have this earbud and it keeps falling out. So that's what that is. Uh, tell us what Jung said in, in, in who he was addressing in that audio. Ah, all right. It was a, it was a kind of a letter um, that he spoke to the Analytical Psychology Club of New York um, in, oh boy. 59, I think it was, um, in the 1950s. And it was, he had been asked some questions and he, he wanted to uh, respond to his colleagues and analyzans and friends who were in the New York metropolitan area, of which he had a good number. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he began the tape, rather than immediately addressing the questions that people had, he began by talking about how much he disliked to, to speak in an audio recording. Mm. He, he, he used the phrase disembodied voices, that he didn't like being a disembodied voice because the only disembodied voices were typically heard by people in lunatic asylums. So he, he just didn't like that whole idea. And then my dissertation took off from there. So that inspired you then? Very much. Because I, I realized that, um, well, already uh, when I did the masters at the new school, where there were a ton of fabulous influences mm -hmm. that, I, that I'm actually only getting to now which is amazing. Things are coming sort of full circle and it, I have the opportunity to revisit some of the things. And that was in the mid eighties. Um, 
But there was a Canadian media theorist, R. Murray Schaefer, who um, wrote a book called The Tuning of the World, because people were already uh, had, getting into the fragmentation that was happening in the population as a result of media technologies. And um, Schaefer came up with this idea of schizophonia, mm. where um, until re audio recording, there was no way to separate music from a musician. Um, anytime you heard music, it had to be played by a human being. Once recording comes in, like photography, yeah. you can see people in other places. You, you, the, 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 um, and this, this theme of Schaefer's was picked up by Brian Eno, who said, um, recording offers the opportunity to turn an event from being an event in time to being an event in space. Mm. In other words, music used to happen live. Now you can put it into a recording. Yeah. It's now housed in a recording song. And, and Schaefer's idea of schizophonia, um, I, I think, was uh, not off the mark. In, uh, you mentioned that the title of the, the paper um, about uh, general media disorder. Yeah. I want to say right up front, that's a phrase that comes from a friend and colleague of mine, Joan Grossman. Um, she came up with that phrase in, in her dissertation from the European Graduate School um, in her book on um, blackout, memory and catastrophe. That's the title of her book? Yeah, blackout, memory and catastrophe. And in there, she brings up this um, idea of a uh, diagnostic, uh, a, a new diagnosis that should go in a DSM, um, a generalized media disorder. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, so, how would you define that for the for the listeners? Um, the symptoms, I believe, uh, are very much though the criteria for attention deficit disorder, <laughs> attention deficit hy hyperactivity disorder. And I just think that electronic media contribute to that. Contribute to those disorders. To those disorders, because they're, they're, to me, they're, they're disorders that enter into the nervous system. Yeah. And once that gets going, as, as with a trauma, it, we, we have to use all kinds of methods to possibly come back to a more um, equanimous yeah. state, whatever that may mean for an individual. But that so generalized media disorder, I think the sym symptomatology is pretty much of an ADD and the the uh, the addictive qualities. Right. Um, the, in, the inability to uh, come come to a, a place of quiet if one forgets one's phone, for example, the the dysregulation that happens when we feel disconnected from the mothership, so mm -hmm. to speak. That's at least how I do. But this was all going on even before cell phones and the internet, because you and I are of, I think, a similar generation. I was born in the 60s. I think you were born in the 50s. Yeah. Uh -huh. Near there. Mid-50s, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and so we, we had television, we had radio, but we didn't have the internet and the cell phones and the smart TVs, and right? So Wi-Fi. So this has been going on since, right. since before all that. Well, it, you know, um, the discussion around Jung being a prophet, right? Mm, it's yeah. the Red Book with telling us the way that that's to come. Right? Um, Jung, it, to my mind, had a, a, a very 
good conception of the effects of media technologies, technology in general, but also he commented in the 50s already on the deleterious effects of television yeah. on children. Yeah. And it was in 1955, I believe, that a study was done in Oxford University Press, the, I think one of the earliest studies on the effects of TV on children. And so you're quite right. This is way old. It, it's just that, um, was it James Gleick wrote a book, Faster? It's, it's, it's just hmm. things are speeding up. But the, but the, what, when did he write that? Oh my goodness. That's, that's already probably 20 years, I guess. Hmm. Um, the same guy wrote Chaos. Yeah. Um, and gave me my internet address of Pipeline. Um, it was his company. Oh, he, um, yeah, the whole thing that, that, uh, that, as I say, we're, we're coming to a point, it seems to me that we're having to negotiate the distinction between human speed and computer speed and humans mm -hmm. are going to lose. Yeah. And, and so the, the effects everywhere, but particularly on us, the sense of inferiority that develops mm -hmm. also something that that is coming to me that we're so many people are disappointed that they can't produce things quickly enough. And I just often ask, what measure are you using? Mm. What measure of speed? Be because of the competition with things that go fast. And you're right, it's not new at all. Mm -hmm. It's just gotten to a point where we're really losing hold of the center. And that's something that I'd like to also keep coming back to today during our talk is not just not just we all know what the issues are. I mean, yes, we want to talk about what affect media and technology are having on our psyche, because that's specifically what we're talking about is the effect on the human psyche, but what we can do about it to come into balance, have a better balance about it. We all know that we're going off the rails, a lot of us, not all of us, I'm sure. And so what we can do about that. And just to another point that you made in that uh, presentation that's on YouTube, uh, you said that in 1930, back in 1930, Jung said the machines we have invented are now our masters. And that's from the vision seminars. So uh, another thing is, and I, I went to the letters, volume two of the letters, which you mentioned, and pulled this out and posted it on both Facebook and Twitter this morning because it was so important uh, on noise. And I don't know if any of you could hear, I don't know if you could hear, or the listeners could hear. Um, there were just garbage trucks outside in the alley and there were fire trucks going by and that's one kind of noise. But in the kind of noise I think that Jung was referring to is about going into a hotel uh, for me, it's a coffee shop and not being able to carry on a conversation because of the music. So tell us a little bit about uh, your take on noise in our environment. Well, my take is old fashioned. Yeah, mine too. But being, uh, how shall I say, well, I guess it's a kind of confrontation, although that sounds a little too violent, but really encountering people who very earnestly say to me that they can't write. They couldn't do their schoolwork. These were younger people. Mm -hmm. They couldn't do their schoolwork at home. They had to go to Starbucks. And um, it's also the case that there are many people um, who the moment they come home, either they turn on a, 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 an audio device like a radio or a, 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 a TV or the equivalent. Right. Mm -hmm. 
um, in it for 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 more than what white noise would provide for other people. Just having some kind of more than what I would call the natural silence of the environment. Mm -hmm. There's some spice, some audio spice that people are adding to their mix for some reason. Do we and know what that reason is? Because even when we go to the grocery store, there is music playing. Well, the, the, the purpose of the music may be different from why some people choose to stay in a Starbucks and write. I think there it isn't, I think it's no longer music. It's just part of a din mm -hmm. that, and, and to me, um, uh, you know, my, my, um, prejudice, my, my, my opinion is that people mm -hmm. are having to, in a way, block out noise from within that, that there's something about quiet that makes the what is referred to in other modalities as the the committee, the inner committee, the uh, the opinion, the personality opinion generators, who um, are here always to remind us of how poor a job we're doing at living, um, and those voices um, are of course, much more noticeable when there's no competition. Yeah. Yeah. I think people do turn it up, some people, to to drown out that competition, and others, of course, for company, because many people are lonely. So they have that TV voice, a radio voice there as a company. You know, we can't necessarily that that's that's not a pathology but mm -hmm. drown, drowning out the committee well we could talk about that in a in a therapy session mm -hmm. so noise and uh, being distracted from ourselves and from connecting with each other uh, and is from what I recall Jung said something about fear in those letters and that we do you remember what he said about fear well that noise counteracts fear because yeah. part of the committee mm -hmm. is also fear-based not just judgmental you know that sort of superego stuff but yeah. there's also there's there's fear and and we we can counteract noise with fear. Uh, sorry, counteract fear with noise. I think that's what he was getting at. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of music, and I we're not anti-music here, um, just music for the purpose of uh, of um, for for not having a purpose. That's one thing, but music for music's sake is another. And I would like to share right now with our listeners, uh, if this will work. Nope. It worked before, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Task. Who's the guy on drugs? This is our very own Dr. Mark. Who's this on drugs? Who was that guy? Look familiar? Oh, some Austrian fellow. Some Austrian fellow. 
So t- tell us where that, I, I wanted to try to, it, it worked well in the, in the, in the uh, sound check. So let me see if I can do that again. Tell us a little bit about what we just saw. If you well, um, in 2019, uh, early sept- late August, early September, um, the, uh, well, every three years, the international union organization brings us together at a Congress somewhere in the world. And um, in 2019, it was in Vienna. That's Mark Winborn. That's our very own Dr. Mark Winborn from episodes uh, 636 and 72. And there's Dr. Froelich. There's Dr. Froelich playing quite quiet. And this is another Jungian analyst, right? He's right here in Chicago, from right here in Chicago. Right. That's All right. I'll let you speak. Ah. All right. Sorry, so, I'm still getting I'm still getting used to how to share on here. That's all right. It worked. Um, Somehow, back in, the, in 2016 in Kyoto, uh, it was the first Congress I attended, and it, it became known that I played drums as a hobby, and uh, so my services were uh, mm. sought out uh, by my colleagues, who Jungians uh, who play music too. Mm-hmm. So every, it seems like every three years we meet for a... Uh, an impromptu jam session. So that was the rehearsal, right? That I just played. Oh, I suppose so. But it sounded pretty much the same in the. Um, I, I. We just played when we could. I don't know how much I played, off and on, during the course of the evening. Well, that there was- were people dancing, and I want to show a little bit of this as well. <laughs> for quite some time was that all evening what, what was going on there well the, the the evening went on all evening but we didn't play all evening okay it got it got really crowded after a while they had to actually decline people's um wish to enter so some of my colleagues didn't get in really well really? we've got the video and i actually found that on uh on facebook because uh, Dr. Winborn and I are friends on Facebook, and I was looking around for to see if you were on Facebook, and I searched your name, and th- that video came up. So I reached out to Dr. Winborn and asked if I could play it here. Uh, so that is a different kind of noise. That's music for music's sake, and that's not what what we were referring to or what Jung was referring to. And so let's oh, talk no, I about- I think you would have thought that to be noise. He would have thought that to be noise too. <laughs> but the fact that there are three Jungian analysts playing uh, just makes it so much more- Oh, then there were five, I think by that one, there were five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to a couple others, huh? So um, yeah, people joined and so on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like a lot of fun. So that that Congress in Kyoto uh, is where you presented your paper right. uh, titled C.G. Jung, Disindividuation, Media, Effects of Communication Technology on the Human Psyche. So 
Let's start with, and I, I just want to also add that paper was published in the proceedings. Diamond Furlog uh, publishes all the proceedings from the IAAP Congresses, and there will be a link, actually two links in the show notes. You can purchase directly from Diamond, and it's also available on Amazon. So it was published in the volume, Anima Mundi in Transition, Cultural, Clinical, and Professional Challenges. And that was the title of that Congress, right? Mm -hmm. So let's start with you defining for us the term disindividuation. Uh-huh. Okay. It's not one we hear too often. Um, I appropriated the phrase from a French philosopher of technology, um, Gilbert Simondon, um, whom I learned about through another French philosopher, uh, Bernard Stiegler. And um, Simondon surely knew about Jung, um, referred to Jung's notion of individuation um, nuanced it enough to make it seem like it was radically different from Jung to my reading. It, it kind of doesn't matter. But um, if from, from Simondon's point of view, joining the critics of technology, um, he said, well, technology is causing disindividuation. Mm. Uh, part of that group of thinkers who, who uh, like Neil Postman in the United States, amusing ourselves to death, where, you know, we become, you know, in the global village, we, all that, all that stuff, and I'm sure we will get to McLuhan at some point. But anyway, while the, the, uh, Jung's idea of individuation, why don't we stick with Jung, and okay. also is, is to, is to cultivate one's being yeah. and, and to broaden out. And, and the, the tide, the incoming tide against that, as one is branching out, the incoming would be the sort of blanket of um, libidinal drives, let's mm -hmm. call it. Or, or rather, rather si si sirens on the hilltop. Okay. That are coming out of technologies. Yeah. That are um, causing many people to not have a much of an ability to go in a direction that suits them more. Mm -hmm. They come what Guy Debord called the society of the spectacle. Everybody's kind of focused on the same spectacle, which doesn't do much for individualhood. Um, so, so, so Simondon comes up with this idea of disindividuation. So that's where I, I just lifted it from his vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. It's very insightful. Hmm. So, if we look at the other side of this, got to look at the other side, right? Got to look at both sides. Do we derive, I mean, obviously we derive benefits from technology. You know, no, question. no, no question. It's, it's a utopia, dystopia, mm. anteodromian tennis match, you know, um, just it's, it's one of those things where I, so many great thinkers wound up saying similar things to what Jung said. Can humanity keep it together enough to not use what technology has come to be able to do? Do we have, and that's no more timely a question today, right? I mean, literally. I know people might be watching this in 150 years from now, and you will have heard of the Ukraine-Russia war in 2022. Um, but today, we're, we're many, many people, and I see it in my practice, and we see it in the newspapers and all over, people are really taking the 
seriousness of nuclear war um, into their nervous systems. So technology does that. Um, Are you saying that that's kind of new because? No, it's not no. new. Here we, I'm just saying that to, to literally today, it's in, mm. in the news that technology may not be controllable by, by human means. That it that it will proliferate once it gets going, it it takes over. Um, that's what many people are concerned with, that somebody's going to fire a nuclear missile. So doesn't this? I'm just thinking. Go back to something else that Jung said about the great danger being the human psyche. So, right, that's at the root of all of this. Right. And that's what I think gets overlooked the most. And that's why I keep doing this podcast is because not a lot of people are looking at the psychology. So was this inevitable with technology that we would get here? Or did we take a wrong turn somewhere? Um, I, I don't know that we can make the final word on that mm -hmm. um it it uh the philosopher heidegger gave an interview to der spiegel the german magazine in 66 i think somehow and um the the title of the of the interview is only a god can save us now and and um and he goes on to talk about how and and he he was one of the initial thinkers on the uh, effects of technology on the human being his question concerning technology came out um pretty much the same year as uh Neumann's Origins and History of Consciousness. Um, people were thinking about this way before there was an internet and wondering, can we, you know, only a God can save us because humanity does not, from Heidegger's point of view, he, uh, he was pessimistic, as was Jung, for the containability of what we can build. For the containability of what we can build. Yeah. So I want to focus on Jung and on Jungians because I'm sure that the listeners know that this one said this and that one said that. And there have been a lot of great thinkers and writers on technology, but who is bringing in the human psyche? And um, so I would like to hear, you know, your perspective on a lot of these things. And you brought up uh, in your paper, which I got to read, um, a term called crazy busy. <laughs> and uh, Sharon Karn, is it, uh, said, since when did crazy busy become socially acceptable? And that was a pet peeve of mine a few years ago where if you were busy, then you were successful. And, and when somebody would say, oh, I'm, I'm so, to me, oh, I'm so glad you found something to keep you busy. Excuse me? I'm not doing this to keep myself busy. I'm doing this because I, this is my, my work. I love doing this. This isn't keeping me busy. Because what I hear is that that's, when somebody says that, that to me, that means, something to keep you distracted. Distracted from what, I don't know. But talk to us about this, this term, crazy busy. What does this mean? Oh, uh, well, I'd rather, I, I think you, I'd rather go to something you said, actually, okay. um, which was, you know, what, what is it, uh, Busy instead of what? Right? Why? Why is busy? 
being elevated. So I think that's yeah. your question. Right? Yeah. Well, oh, it's there, so good to be busy. Um, there's a a guy who wrote, if you're a Talking Heads fan, a great book about fear of music. Um, Jonathan Jonathan Lethem, I think, is his name, and he says he paraphrasing Roosevelt, we have nothing to fear but the nothing itself. Mm. And he didn't invent it again. It's is a, a common theme in, in philosophy around the notion of silence. And then uh, John Cage and his, um, mm. in a way, revelation that there's, there is no such thing as absolute silence from a hearing point of view. Um, but uh, the, the point is, I think Lethem's uh, bringing up the fear of nothing, the nothing, um, again, a philosophical phrase, the nothing, and the nothing nothings in <laughs> such concepts that, that bring up um, open space. And again, uh, my prejudice is to think uh, that that open space is an invitation for super egoic, all too often difficult to handle thoughts. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm sorry, again, it's what things funnel down to as I see it. Yeah. Um, people often talk with me about um, a meditation practice. And uh, in all earnestness, I tell them that they're that they're offering themselves to a torture rack. Um, and I really am not kidding. I think any any of us who try sitting quietly for a few moments, as as uh, Christopher Whitmond, who taught in New York, one of the original founders of the institute, said, um, "If you can sit down, if." You can sit down. Mm -hmm. Are you sitting on a field of grass or thumbtacks? So, you know, he was on it. Uh, how is it to just sit there? Yeah, I, I used to practice transcendental meditation. Hmm. I received my instruction back in 1988, and I've uh, done it and then not done it and gone back and forth. And I haven't done it in quite some time. I have no desire to meditate anymore. I've been on a silent meditation retreat as well. And I can't believe I used to be able to do those things. I can't believe I used to meditate twice a day, but it's very, it's very specific how you meditate for 20 minutes twice a day and in TM. And I can't imagine doing that today. There's no way I couldn't do it. I could barely sleep. So meditate willingly in the middle of the day? No. Nope. So, you know, it's gotten to me too. And in your paper, you quote one of your patients as saying, we're all texting while we're driving. I love that. Yeah. I got his permission. To use that, yeah. Right away, I said, you're going to be famous. Tell us what that means to you. Who would argue that there's no effect of drinking on driving mm. these days? Mm -hmm. I think there's enough. There might be an exception, of course, of someone who's an iron whatever drinker, but I, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Right? Um, who, who would argue that texting while driving is okay? Mm. Who, 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 would, who would say that it's, it's really fine to text while you drive? No one. No. And yet, so many people do it. And what my patient was talking about, he spread it, he, he just used that metaphor that we're all just bonkers doing all kinds of crazy things all the time. It's, and of course, you know, who's we, 
generally speaking yeah okay um i i have a delightful patient who does not have a computer mm. no computer yeah. so and and i'm not the only one uh in my crowd who doesn't have a facebook um account mm -hmm. um but but i want to be clear that it's not because i disdain it mm -hmm. uh, and just poo poo it all it's because i'm admitting my addiction mm. when i don't take a facebook account i i would like to own that that i do have a little bit of a, a feeling not a fear but a feeling of missing out yeah i just am in a way protecting myself yep from what i know i mean you know very often we 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 um we write we write out our complexes, you know. Um, what do you mean? What we, does that mean? Well, my my uh, my dissertation about communications oh. certainly has a lot to do with. I love that. Yeah. Issues. Mm -hmm. You know what? Again, Jung's notion of libido that really asks, what are we doing and why? Where, to what are we drawn? Mm -hmm. Why this subject and 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 not another one? And you know, maybe psyche has something to do with it. Maybe a psychological, maybe a complex. Complex doesn't have to be negative. Mm -hmm. But there's some reason that I I chose that subject rather than something having to do with the study of ants or something. It's not mm -hmm. my thing. But why is this my thing? Well. You know, that's, that's, there are many, 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 many reasons. Uh, yeah. So again, what, what's the, what, what pulls us and why, and, and, and why is this, this in, inability to temper it that people seem to experience that, you know, that, that, uh, was it Sherry Turkle out of MIT? I think she is. Um, our our technologies have entered into uh, places that used to be just for intimacies, and um, is that it, again? I'm old fashioned. What else? would you tell us um, before we wrap up, what else would you tell us about uh, your paper, your presentation that you would like to share with the listeners uh, about how you tied Jung into this subject? What haven't we covered? Wholeness. Yeah. Um, If, if one's goal is wholeness, whatever and, and whatever that may mean to each of us, mm -hmm. what's necessary to live in such a way that feels harmonious? Because mm -hmm. I think that's what wholeness is. A kind of sense of, of it's okay to be here. It's okay to, to do this. And um, it takes some it takes a wish to not be at everyone else's disposal, mm. also to be able to take some time. Good old introversion. You know, Jung went to Bollingen. There was no electricity. Pumped his own water. I think there was a phone. That makes sense in yeah. an older age. But um, he went there because there weren't even buttons that he had to turn on. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, you asked before what's to be done, and it's a question of diet like anything else. How much, how much do you want to take in? Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. And... And to know that our system, as a result of all this, 
um, immediacy of technology gives us each the idea that no, doesn't give us the idea it, cre it it can create a condition of being uh, on guard or on standby um, that was something that again was noticed in 20th century philosophy we seem to always be at the ready for for what it, it it's there's a there's a bit of a tension that seems to accompany these with this time in our life to be to be on on at the ready yeah i'd like to mention something uh toward the end of your paper something quite prescient that you wrote. And I don't even know if you remember this. On the, it was on the last page of the paper. Uh, and I don't know exactly when you wrote it. This is the one you presented at the Congress in 2016. I'm not sure when you wrote it, but the last section is titled Reset. And you write a number of observations on the disindividuating effects of media have been offered here with little more to offer other than by way of an old fashioned remedy, a reset button that brings one to appreciate the depths and numinosity of psyche. And that really jumped out at me because of the pandemic and what some people were calling it was the great reset. And you wrote this way before the pandemic. Had you thought of that since? Uh, I do know that for, for many of us, the pandemic offered an opportunity to en en encounter that committee that I mentioned a number of times today, because we couldn't go out. We now for some that caused great anxiety and others. And it seems many people, now this was early on, many people found it of great benefit to be home, to be uh, in them, in themselves a little more. And that's the great reset. I mean, this could go many, many, you know, to, uh, when, when Timothy Leary said, uh, turn on, tune in, drop out. Well, COVID made many of us drop out of at least the everyday cycle. We, we, we had to, we, and, um, some people used it as an opportunity to tune in, mm -hmm. but it is getting long now for a lot of folks. And uh, I like how you mentioned the, uh, the reset, bringing one to appreciate the depths and the numinosity of psyche, because that is something that, and I talked about this on an earlier episode, that I felt that I lost. Uh, just finding anything to be numinous anymore, yeah. that I had just completely lost that and didn't even realize it until I found it again, you know, you found it again though. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. call it the re -aster. You call it the what? Re-aster. Mm. You know what a disaster is. Yeah. All right. Well, at some point, hopefully after the disaster, mm. we'll find our star again because disaster is to be without a star. So we have to, you, apparently you found a star again. Yeah. I sure did. And that would be a lovely story to learn about, I think. How you found your self again, if that's what you mean. That's interesting you mentioned that because I saw yesterday on Twitter uh, someone asking for such stories. And I wondered if I should contribute. And I decided not to. Hmm. Uh, but it's still in the back of my mind and then you mentioned that so that's it definitely be, yeah 
might be worth it, Laura. Yeah, something to look into. Uh, and before we conclude here today, um, there is something else I want to mention, if I could find it in my notes. You, oh, you know what? We didn't talk about Marshall McLuhan. I, I don't want to neglect that. Is there anything you would like to mention about him? And did I lose you again? Hmm. I hope he comes back. Dr. Froelich? Yeah, uh, it's uh, here oh, I am. It just, okay. It, it froze. Okay. Yeah, good. Well, here we are. Um, Did you hear me ask about McLuhan? Um, McLuhan. Uh, again, certainly far from being the only one to see the effects of technology on being human. Um, but because he was such a, well, at least to me, not, not the clearest of writers, not the easiest to read. Mm -hmm. um, when he started uh, his critique of media back in the, I guess, late 50s and early 60s, understanding media was around 64. Um, he, he did seem like a fortune teller, a prophet of of tech of the of media technology and and that whole idea of the global village mm. oh no dr froelich has frozen up again hmm right oh yeah so we lost you there for a little bit yeah sorry i i don't know at what point um, we lost you at global village wow this is now i'm losing you oh man oh my now you're back okay okay global Village. just the again um what it's like jung there ah yeah do, do you know you're frozen or you don't know you're frozen Hmm. Now I know. Yeah, I okay. can. I can see it goes spin into weirdness. Okay. Maybe we should wrap up quickly here. So okay. yeah, I, but I would like you to tell us about McLuhan. Well, just that he's sort of uh, still a go-to on the, the, what it was going to look, what it looks like, um, and mm -hmm. underrated. At the time, he, he was resuscitated, became the the spirit, what the the, the grandfather of uh, not the grandfather, the spiritual father of Wired magazine or something like that. Ah, okay. Camille Paglia, Camille Paglia, yep. um, did a did a good job on resuscitating Jung. Why he's uh, McLuhan, yeah, um, and so on. Anyway, uh, he's just another hero, along with many others who contribute to our understanding of media. And uh, in your paper, uh, the quote I pulled out is, uh, you said that in an exchange of systems of thought, Jungians may come to acknowledge the contributions made by McLuhan's understanding of the effects of media, and media theorists can learn from Jung. I think so. I think his few writings on the effects of technology and the, the effects of media technology specifically still hold water. And then if we look further into how these technologies pro proliferate um, and take control, maybe, maybe some uh, detente can happen. Maybe we can find peace with them and, and hit the reset button. Hit the reset button, yeah. So uh, again, I highly encourage the listeners to get uh, a hold of Dr. Froelich's paper. Again, it's, uh, it's titled C.G. Jung, Disindividuation Media, Effects of Communication Technology on the Human Psyche. It was published in Anima Mundi in Transition, Cultural, Clinical, and Professional Challenges. And as we wrap up here today, I would like to mention that you are going to be contributing a chapter to an upcoming book uh, that will be published by Chiron. It is 
titled Eastern Practices and Individuation Essays by Jungian Analysts. It is edited by Dr. Leslie Stein, who I will be visiting here uh, in May, the beginning of May in Sydney, Australia. And I'd like to save the, the content of your chapter for a future episode um, and hope to have you back. I don't know if, was there anything you wanted to, to tell us, uh, to tease us with? Not at the moment. You've just teased me. I don't have a comeback that quickly. Thank you very much, Laura. Okay. That would be delightful. Yeah, we look forward to uh, what you have to say about Eastern practices and individuation. Uh, judging by the gongs behind you, uh, I don't, I don't know that part of you, and I'm very curious about it. So uh, we we will look forward to that. I would be delightful. Please visit the website, speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G.com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. Speaking of Jung is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device simply by saying Alexa, Play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. Links to Amazon's new Echo devices can be found in the show notes. With special thanks to Dr. Mark Winborn, to Mel Matthews at Fisher King Press, and to Carolyn Sky Karen at the Jung Association of Western Massachusetts, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung. <laughs>